American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Okay, so far we've been talking about a wide variety of things which we've been saying were necessary precursors to the full development of capitalism, specifically industrial capitalism. So we've been setting the stage with one development after another. Let's see, for instance, we needed to see uh, the development of worldwide markets and trade. We've got that. The development of state policies that would make and expand markets. We've got that as well by the end of the, uh, 18, by the, end of the 1700s and the beginning of the 1800s. We needed to have the development of financial systems that would support increased growth. It would, in other words, provide the credit that would serve as the lubrication of growth. We got that as well. And what we also needed was the development of machines and techniques and systems of production that could increase the efficiency of production and perhaps continue to add more increases to the efficiency of production. This would all collectively, potentially, allow the West, particularly England, and maybe the United States as well, the new United States, would allow them to break out of that Malthusian trap of the agricultural world. The world in which the supply of goods and the use of resources could only expand so far without pushing up against the natural and technological limits to production and consumption. But what was also needed, it turns out, or so it seems, was a series of events that served as catalysts in the development of a kind of runaway growth. And this runaway growth would not be there in Britain or in the U.S. during the 1790s, despite the economic expansion there. But it would be there by 1815 to 1819, the first period where we can look and really say, here is industrial capitalism growing rapidly. So what we're going to do in this section is get you to that point from the 1790s to 1819. Now, the first place we're going to start might seem like an ironic place to start, because we're going to start by talking about the end of one system of slavery and the beginning of another. Now, it's been traditional for students of capitalism, from Adam Smith to Karl Marx on into the 20th century, to talk about slavery as something distinct from capitalism. And yet, so far, we've been talking about sugar slavery in particular as one of the engines of growth in the pre-capitalist Atlantic system, England, its colonies, the United States, etc. But what actually happened in the 1790s and early 1800s was the end of that early system of slavery, but then the beginning of a new one, a new kind of slavery that would add dramatically to the pace of growth in industrial capitalism. So what I'm going to talk about is something you might call the second slavery. We had a first system of slavery, the sugar slavery that was so prevalent in the uh, islands of the Caribbean. And also it had a variant in the United States as well with tobacco and rice. But the second system of slavery is different. It's significantly more modern in some crucial ways, particularly in the way that it produces goods. But it's also an engine of modernization, the rapid economic development of Britain, the US, and other places. So let's talk about how we make that transition, how we see that transition happen from the first slavery to the second slavery. Now, what do I mean by the first slavery? 
I mean the system of sugar slavery, the system of repeating islands in the Caribbean, which had been so important to British and, in fact, European and North American economic growth in the 1600s and the 1700s. In some ways, this is a revolutionary economic system for the time. As big units of production, it produces a commodity that's sold around the world, which has all kinds of attractions and social and cultural meanings. But the system of production, although it changes some over time, does not change as rapidly as we would see, for instance, industrial production changing in the 1800s. It's still, in that sense, not fully modern. In addition, the first slavery is sustained by continual imports of enslaved Africans from Africa itself. Now, those Africans, uh, on the whole, tended to die much faster than enslaved people born in the New World, and they tended to start more rebellions. And both of these factors would be very important in the transition that was to come. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Thank you.